As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Hold That Podcast podcast. It's good to talk to you guys after a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm Chris Branch, your co-host here with Brody, my other co-host, Brody Miller. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Happy Mardi Gras. How are you doing? Happy Mardi Gras. Well, we are celebrating a boil water advisory in our neighborhood in New Orleans, so yeah, same couldn't again. get more cliche than that. Uh, yeah. I'm having a coffee that I brewed hot and made cold, you know, classic stuff. Yeah, I did a Vietnamese iced coffee because I had to boil it. That was, I was, yeah, similar. God, similar you're so thinking. bougie. You're so bougie. I just. Is that bougie? I mean, like, what about that's bougie? I'm, I made the coffee and I put it in It's literally just condensed milk and coffee. I know. It just, you know, I imagine really you making coffee. some designs and the foam and like yeah, having There's a no, good time with that. it. No, it's pretty simple. No. Okay. All right. Well, we're both having coffee. Maybe that's what I'll get you for your birthday this year. I'll get you a fin. Great. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's good to talk to you guys. Love love this coffee podcast that we're on. Um, we have a lot to catch up on, Brody, and I and I wanted to start doing as we talk about uh, being more organized on this podcast. I want to start having a rundown. So here's what here's what we have on on the depth chart for today. We have Brody's lovely baseball story that you guys all should have read, and if not, we're going to talk about it. LSU has spring practice dates. Big deal. We're going to do a little depth chart analysis. You know, we have uh, so long to, to look at this and we're going to go position by position over this entire offseason. But I, w- I want to prime you guys before we get into spring practice so we don't overanalyze one part or, or not pay attention somewhere else. Um, we want to do some storylines going into spring practice. I mean, you know, what to expect and maybe talk a little college football playoff expansion and how it could affect LSU. You ready, Brody? I am ready. Okay, baseball story. You wrote a lovely one this weekend about the return of full-fledged baseball to LSU, um, a new era. And I, I know this is a football podcast, but a, I think every LSU baseball fan is also an LSU football fan. And for those of us listening, I, I assume we're all pretty regional here in our fandoms, and we all know LSU baseball is a very special thing. Um, just tell me what your weekend was like. What, what were the vibes? Yeah, no, it was I, – I had one, you know, fellow uh, beat writer in the press box say something that I don't agree with, but it's somebody who, like, covers – knows baseball, LSU baseball, so much deeper than I do that I'm like, 
I'm curious what you guys actually all think. But he, he said he's like, I think this is the most anticipated opening day. For he actually no, he went even further. He said it's the most anticipated game in the box ever, like the new box. And I'm Ooh, like, that I, I, I don't know about me that. Me and two other man. guys were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, there's been like massive super regionals. There here. have like, been super regionals yeah, in that box. What are we talking? But I think to his point, and, uh, and again, I'm not going to focus on that point. But like, to this concept was, yeah, I mean, it's the first opening day really in two years. Um, last year, you know, obviously there was kind of like it was back, but it just wasn't wasn't back back. 2020 obviously was one kind of a dud year, and obviously got cut short and just so like people really haven't like had a full throttle box in two years and, right. and LSU baseball hasn't been where it should be for really five years and now you got a new coach Jay Johnson and excitement you got a really loaded lineup that could be you know really scary team and, and I get what he's saying because it did have a bit of a feel of just kind of like I mean and it's tough to like say this without sounding like you're ripping on Paul Maneri because I'm the biggest Paul Maneri defender on earth. I think there's a little element of like LSU fans expected too much. And, and, and Paul Maneri is a, a, one of the greater coaches in college baseball history. But sometimes there's just time for a change. There's time for a new mm. energy, time for some youth. And, I, and I, I really felt that this weekend. And kind of the whole reason I went down, right, was just, you know, because again, I, you guys know this. I don't really cover baseball the way I did 18 and 19 where I'm there every single day. You know, I'm going to go and write some occasional features and whatnot. But I wanted to kind of write about just how SEC baseball is just like this religion that like isn't normal everywhere else. And like when you explain it to people up north, they're even like confused. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, oh, you're covering LSU base? Like, why? You know, like, it's just, it's different. And even well, if like it's a good team, it's still sport number four or five there, right? Or even some ACC schools are like that. You know, and it's just different. Right. While, while the SEC, I mean, I think at LSU it's number two. Is that wrong? Uh, I I mean, actually, it, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, and <laughs> no slight to basketball, but and, and and I love when basketball is good. But we have probably the most fair weather basketball fan base uh, of any fan base, both LSU and Pelicans. Yeah, but I mean LSU, LSU, yeah, yeah. But LSU basketball. I mean, some of my favorite memories are from the Pack PMAC. But um, when the team is not great, there's nobody there, and it's different with LSU baseball. I mean, I, I would put baseball at number two and like yeah. uh, even gymnastics number three, and then we, we can figure Ooh, out the rest. But yeah. And, and I think it's true. And, and I think it's true for a lot of sec schools. You know, I don't think it's going to be two everywhere. First off Vanderbilt, it's one, right? I think that's accurate. Right. And I think even if it's not two, it's like three or maybe four, but it, it's just different. And there's a, a passion to it. And a lot of that could be our, people way better than me this northerner could explain but and, you know that's i think part of it has to do with you know you there's no major league baseball teams nearby but they do love baseball in the, in the southeast you know i think that's a big part of it i think there's just also this element of and this part i actually will defer to you but it's just like i don't know there's this i don't even know it's something like you can cling on to and make yours i think that's a small part of it that it's like Hipster's not the right word, but there's that like small, small aspect of hipsterness, you know, where it's like this is our thing. Is that crazy? No, no, it's not because you know, growing up here, the closest baseball teams are five and eight hours away. So even if you're a big fan of the team, you might be going to one game a year at two max. Yeah. So it's it's not like you have this intimate relationship with it with a major league baseball team, like 
people from the Northeast do where there's a team within an hour and a half, four or five teams within three hours. It just, it, it doesn't happen like that where you can say on a Tuesday, why don't we go catch the game? But LSU baseball is a really damn good. And like probably, you know, as you said in your story, arguably the biggest college baseball brand there is maybe outside of a couple of SEC competitors. And it just depends on who's best at the time. Yeah. Has this very different fan base within the LSU fan base that are very passionate. They show up no matter how good the team is, they're going to be there and they're going to be, I love the anecdote about them keeping the score in their scorebook, no matter if it's cold or hot or whatever. It's just like, but it's so true. So like, many people do it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you'll see four people per section doing it. And, you know, I will say as a former baseball beat writer and an avid baseball fan, I don't want to do that. That's God, not how no. I enjoy, you know, watching a baseball game. There was one but season where I kind of did it. And I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> I did it when I covered the Phillies for a bit. And I was like, man, I can't even get like the, the atmosphere of the game, which is what I thrive yeah. on as well. Because I'm like, uh, was that was that a uh, was that a fly out to right or left? Like, did I did I look away? <laughs> want, you know, but the, it is a very intimate relationship with the game. The people that do that, and I have a lot of respect for them. And it's just it it is a lovely uh, dissection of the LSU fan base, those baseball fans. So I everybody should go read Brody's story. We're gonna put it in the show notes. Um, it was just it, it. It made me want to go back like soon to to a baseball game. So I'm gonna try to make a game or two this soon. season. Uh, yeah. Um. So great stuff, Brody. Uh. But and let's, for what it's let's... worth, just to talk the baseball part, LSU's gonna have a loaded offense. That's all. That's the oh biggest insight I can give to our listeners. Holy crap! That offense is a chance to be. I I I told myself I was like, look, don't get too excited about them just yet because oh, yeah, it, 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 it was Maine. Um. Who, but it's also like five or six established bats. Like they're not like oh my gosh, they just broke yes. out against Maine. Like it's like guys who are dudes. You know, guys who uh, Jacob yeah. Berry was an All American at Arizona. You know, like I think they have a chance to be. I mean, there's really what two weak spots, and like I think there's been a lot of years in the pulmonary era where it's more like four. You know, and I, I think that's right. I can't wait for them to win games like nineteen to eleven. Right, that's gonna, gonna be, be so real. <laughs> <laughs> Which, thank um, God we're not covering it day to day anymore because, man, that would that I don't miss that <laughs> four and a half not. hour games. Uh, just wait until they lose their first midweek game and everybody wants to fire Jay Johnson. Just joking. Oh, I can't of. wait. Well, they play tech this week. Uh, well, maybe, so it, maybe, it's in a, maybe it's in, maybe it's in about 24 hours. Um, <laughs> All right. Moving on from baseball. Let, let's move listening. on to the to the unestab- or the established uh, king of LSU sports uh, football. Spring practice dates were announced. Spring practice begins March 24th. The spring game is April 23rd. You know, we, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, Brody. What is, what is the atmosphere around the program right now? Uh, things are settling into place a little more. Uh, what are you hearing? What are you feeling? Yeah, I think there's been a little bit of like everything these last three months for like the staff and whatnot has just been kind of like a chaotic mad dash. You know, it's just constantly trying to get things in line. Obviously, the portal stuff has been chaotic, the recruiting, you know, and then just getting on the same page and whatnot, winter workouts, all that stuff, trying to get on the same page with the playbook, figuring that out, you know, trying to connect with players and stuff like that. I I think it's been a bit of a, yeah, just a mad dash. And I think spring football will be welcome for a lot of people just because it will like finally add a little bit more just basic structure and a little bit of more knowledge of what where things stand. And I think there are some guys that have really – I think what's been interesting talking to people in the program have been 
just kind of like asking, you know, who they've been leaning on, you know, who the guys like, you know, I think they're finding their guys that they can go to and, and be their, their liaisons, you know, for that, for that just going to be so important for a first year. And I think, you know, I think you're Mason Smith's a big one. You know, I think Jack Besh is a big one. Jack Mashburn, guys like that. Um, you know, I, I think they are finding those those leaders they can really count on to be their bridges. Mike Jones, you know. So I, I think it's kind of an interesting time in that sense. And I, I think it's kind of chaos over there. I do think that. But I, I think spring will give us a lot more answers. Yeah, definitely. And and, and as you told me right before we started recording, uh, we are having a press conference, you said, tomorrow with Brian Kelly. Wednesday and, and Thursday both, yes. Yeah, Brian Kelly will introduce basically his staff. And it'll be... It'll be great for you guys as readers because we'll mean we'll get some real insights on, uh, yeah, like we haven't. I'll be honest, it's in person too, and there's like breakout sessions, which means we can have real, not like forced press conference conversations, but like right. really talk to them about you know what they want out of their scheme, what they think of guys, and all that stuff. So it'll be really helpful to actually get get a sense of what they this future of LSU is going to be because it's haven't really had any answers these last three months. I will say, from my slightly outsider media fan perspective here. Uh, I'm, I'm glad for it because there was a swelling discourse among the LSU media and fan base that Brian Kelly had not addressed the media yet in a press yeah. conference at all, which I, I, I kind of get, but I, I, as a fan, I wasn't too upset about, I didn't really find a lot of worry there. I just assumed he was very busy and like, we're, we're all getting to know each other here. So at least that will uh, shout down that narrative for a little bit. And like you said, we're going to get upfront direct communication for one of the few times. I mean, the last, the, the only times that I can remember Brian Kelly talking to us since he got hired were just a, a couple of cringeworthy moments with accents and dances and, you know, at a basketball game and, and in a, uh, the, the booth at the bowl game. Uh, so it's going to be nice. And talking to coordinators and getting it, it's it feels more real absolutely yeah no i, I think that's a, a good way to put it. it it's starting to feel like uh everything's felt very like so far in the distance you know and i think that's kind of by design to some extent but i am looking forward to actually getting to cover this team and you know shoot we could start talking about like roster stuff and like team debates yeah. and no longer just these like broad thoughts on like kelly's fit louisiana you know which is why you know it's good to do that depth chart piece last week which we were about to discuss just kind of being like oh it's actually looking like what this roster looks like because we haven't done that much let's talk about the roster um yeah i posed to you in our show rundown uh tell me the three biggest depth chart battles that you are interested in as an objective observer yeah i think i think there's a part of me that always gets the most into the battles that aren't like obvious but they're like positions where there's a lot of options but i don't know who's the guy you know and obviously that's common sense to some extent but it's not just like a need it's just like huh where do they what's the pecking order here i have no idea so i think linebacker is going to intrigue me big time there because i actually think they've actually done a good job with linebacker looked like a huge red flag about two months ago and getting baskerville back signing perkins bringing in West Weeks and Colby Fields, which I don't know if those guys are going to be like starters, but you just suddenly feel really good about the depth where suddenly a guy like Demario Tolan, for example, who's a really good young linebacker, uh, I, I think is going to be – I've heard really good things about him in winter workouts. He's an early enrollee. Like I think he's going to be a dude. Um, you know, Suddenly he's far down the depth chart and he can just develop, You know, I would assume at least. Or Greg right. Penn, a guy with just this massive upside who you know, Damone Clark raved about. 
I don't know if he's going to start. You know, I don't think Harold. If you, in, a, in my depth chart, I put Baskerville and Jones as my current starters, which means Harold Perkins is five star, and everyone's like eager for a top ten guy to start. But he could maybe rotate in and kind of ease into a role. I think that's really healthy, actually. So I think I'm most interested by that because I literally don't know. Like Baskerville's like this definition of stability, and you know, he's smart guy, knows what he's doing, always in the right place, but maybe doesn't have the physical tools. Mike Jones is a guy who I've heard really good things from the Kelly ad, you know, regime the last few weeks about the, you know, he's looking really good in workouts. He's, he obviously made a really good leap to end the year too. Um, once that right. defense kind of changed under Dante Jones. So I'm just fascinated by positions like that, where it's like, yeah, there's five guys. I think you could hypothetically start and be good, but I have literally no idea what the combination is. So I think that's a big one. I think the other that I'm really intrigued by, and it kind of fits the same thing in a way, is safety. Because they brought in Joe Fusha, I believe, a, is, I, don't, uh, I actually don't know if it's a little more Louisiana accent pronunciation than that. But oh, that's a, that, You're fine. I wonder if it was like, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but like you basically have three starting SEC safeties there, between Jay Ward, Joe Fusha, Major Burns. They all, by the way, as much as like the defense was a problem at times, I thought Major Burns was a perfectly reliable starting sec safety he he did a good job jay ward was banged up but he's a good player i just wonder what happens there you know because i don't think you got joe fuchsia from arkansas to to be a bench warmer so does he knock burns down you go ward and fuchsia and then you know yeah obviously you play three safety a good amount these days so maybe you know he still rotates in or do you move guys around a little jay ward came up as a corner and then moved to safety out of desperation and thrive there and i think i kind of do think that's a better fit for him but corner shaky so maybe you move ward to corner i'm just and i even tried to ask some people on the staff and they're like the honest answer is we don't know yet we're gonna find that out so i think i think that's what i'm really interested by just to see what their plan is there because and obviously i guess well i'll just segue that to say corner is the other one that's wide open right because you know you did bring in three transfers and Bernard Converse, an all Big 12 guy, Mackay Garner from UL, and Greg Brooks from Arkansas to play nickel. I don't think it's unreasonable to assume all three of those might start. And I also think they're probably going to bring another corner. It does kind of seem like that. So maybe Garner doesn't start. I don't know. But it's just, I, I, I just find myself being like, I don't, and this is just years of watching this, I never want to bet on every transfer being exactly what you think they'll be. You know what I'm saying? Like, just numbers game that isn't how it works it's a transition to a new school it's changing conferences and levels like i don't think it's safe to assume all three of those guys are really sec starters so it's like maybe ward becomes one of the corners or also like what happens with sage ryan who's a really promising nickel brooks is i assume the starting nickel now does ryan do does he go back to safety even i have no idea does he try outside corner so I think those are kind of my my main areas because I just – and maybe that's a long way of saying corner and safety together I'm intrigued by because the interweaving that could happen there. So I think those are some of mine. How about you? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. 
Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's it's so funny because I you answered that perfectly because as as you know our listeners know uh, you are the objective observer and I am not the objective observer. Um, <laughs> So you well, I you, left you, out the really obvious one, but like you no, know, you you laid out very interesting uh, position battles. I am interested in seeing that, but my fandom says, "Where are we bad? <laughs> Where should I oh, worry totally. about?" Yeah, and so all of, all of the defense, like you know, I I was reading to be fair, your corner show. is the number one bad area, other than the other one we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I. I I don't know what all all Big Twelve cornerback means. I mean, I I can't say I've grinded a lot of uh, Jarek Bernard Converse tape, but he seems like he'll be reliable. Yeah, I trust him hundred percent. I don't know about any of these other guys. That's that's that is a position of worry for me. Um, every everywhere else on the defense, I feel pretty good about. I mean, just like you said, a linebacker like Micah Baskerville is reliable. Mike Jones came on at the end of the year. Um, yeah. Would love to see Harold Perkins pop. You know, and maybe he starts. Maybe he's awesome. That would be great. But I, I don't know if we need that right now. I mean, all these guys are pretty good. You know, the the offense is what worries me. Yeah. Um, I guess my main my first thought went to the offensive line, as it should. Yeah, I and, left that but, for you. That's a team but, player. But at the same time, like they brought in so many people. And there's, it's just so many new names, new faces there that there's, there's so many people on the roster that are, could be good, but also like, I, I have no idea. I mean, what, what is your sense there? I mean, I know Traymon Shorts was a big get, um, Dellinger's coming back, you know, Cameron Wire you have as a backup, which is interesting, um, because I thought he was okay last year, but he's a senior. He's, he's been around a while. Cardell Thomas. I forget exists sometimes. He was one of the yeah. biggest recruits in that class and then just hasn't seen the field. I mean, yeah, talk to me about the offensive line first. Yeah, and I also try to like have a little fun with that projection because I it's it's a weird one. Obviously it's the biggest question mark on this roster. And anything else is a lie. Like it, it just is. And yeah, I, I really like both transfers they added. And by the way, of course they're gonna try to get more. They still have a few spots open. I think they have a Vanderbilt, the kid from Vanderbilt Cummins that visit. You know, they're going to have more. But Miles Frazier is a guy who, yes, you have. Let me re, let me start over. Basically saying they brought in two guys that are really highly touted, Miles Frazier and Shimon Shorts, but both are also going up a massive jump in level. Like, Miles Frazier was a freshman All-American, one of the highest grade tackles in the country. You have every reason to believe he should be a three, two- or three-year starter here. But still, like, there is just the element of, like, going from FIU to LSU, like, Conference USA to SEC. I don't expect him to be the same player at LSU that he was there. So huge, huge upside there. But I wonder. And Shorts, same thing, kind of. You know, he's going from FCS to to here. So you you just wonder. And then after that, the honor. And by the way, Shorts, I I'm all over the place. Let me say this: you still have no idea who's going to play center. Like none. There's actually arguably not a single actual center on the roster. You know, Turner practiced there for a few, like a while, but he's kind of fluid and he's hurt all the time. Uh, you know, Joseph Evans is a guy who I wouldn't rule out going back to a line. He's back on the roster now. Had that one stretch, 29, 2020, 
where it looked like he was going to be the backup center and be the center of the future and then got moved back to D-line, but they really liked his upside at center. So I'm not going to rule that out at all. Really good kid. Uh, but my, I don't have fun with this. My gut kind of says, like, it's almost going to be Liam Shanahan all over again where, like, Shorts is going to slot into being a center and he's a veteran high IQ guy. You can probably adjust to that quickly. It does kind of, like Shanahan, alleviate the, like, change in level thing you know like hey right. you know it's like if you're a fcs tackle maybe you're an sdc guard guard test center etc etc i that's just my my gut feeling pick that i have no real information to go on but after those two that i feel like are probably going to start is there a single other lineman you know for sure are sec starter quality no there aren't like there are guys who might take a leap but there is not a single guy you are sure of and that yeah. is, and by the way, the other two I said I'm sure of are transfers, so I'm not even really sure of those. I think that's the scary thing. I do like what they've added. I'm not like, you know, it's it's possible to both say I really like what they did, and I have no confidence. <laughs> like, and I think Marlon Martinez and did actually he impressed me. I don't know about you, but like, he's not great. I don't think I think he's like a he's like the Micro Baskerville of O line probably, right? Yeah, like, that, I mean, all those guys like for. For the troubles that the offensive line had last year, you know, the guys that are coming back like Marlon Martinez and Cameron Warren, Anthony Braff and Garrett Delger, I'm just like, you know, they're like I wouldn't be surprised if they play okay. Yeah. I'm not I'm not it. like I'm not like big number whoever, left tackle. Let's go run behind him. Let's <laughs> run left seventeen times a game. That's that's not how I'm gonna feel about any that's of these really guys good. right now. But I mean, we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. That's the that's the good thing that we we have actual fodder to go on soon about the team next year, which is very exciting for me because you know it was what a weird season was last year and flushing that away and all the change and like finally we're gonna have actual data to go on. No, Can't wait. That's a really good way to put that actual data to go on. It's so true. And yeah, it's like there's also guys that and to give credit where it's due, there's guys that I could see him taking a big leap, right? Anthony Bradford's the trickiest one, and I, I, ref, I, he's in that. You know, I think we have like four players every year that we put in the zone of like we've been talking about their upside for three years. Now you have to put them in the I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt unless proven right. otherwise category. Right. John Emery was like the MVP of this for three years, and <laughs> still I guess is. he still is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, Bradford, the Ogeron staff loved his. You know, they thought he was such a great athlete, loved his thing, but he always had you know weight issues or injury issues or maybe they coincide you know I, I i'm just not confident there uh and garrett dellinger i mean yeah i mean he was like ready to at least play some true freshman right really good talent and they asked him to do some things that they probably i think like his future is probably as a right tackle right and i think he could really if he commits to that could be a really great right tackle so he could take a huge leap in year two because he's he was an early enrollee. You know, he's been developing for a full year now. I totally think he could take a leap, but still, like, it's this. It's like one of the biggest things I yell on this podcast all the time is like, we too often assume people develop like a video game, where it's like, yeah, that that fresh that rookie's a seventy six, but you know, year two he's, he becomes an eighty two. He's gonna gain XP every game. He's yeah, gonna get that like, up to an eighty four by the end of the year. Yeah, I'm just these last three years have really taught me you just can't do that anymore so it's like i'm going off exactly what he was last year he was pretty okay and i expect him to get better but i still want to bank on it so yeah i think garrett dellinger is a guy who i think i should slide into that right tackle spot but it's tricky then because there's cam wire who 
yeah, I mean, he's a veteran, been at least like a coach starter in some capacity for two, three years. But he has constant knee issues that I don't think are just going to like go away. Uh, and, you know, I also don't think he like necessarily excelled. So part of me is like, ah, I kind of could see the scenario where Frazier and Dellinger are the tackles and Wire's the swing guy. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then, and they added these freshmen. Like, there's a small part of me that actually, I don't, for uh, you, you, you true uh, inside, like, you know, you true OGs. If you might have logged on the story earlier, you might have noticed uh, 6 a.m. that morning. I left out Anthony Bradford. I just literally forgot Anthony Bradford, which shit happens. Okay. It was like <laughs> LSU doesn't have a 22 roster up yet. So I'm like literally just going off 21 and like piecing together who's still, who's still here. So give me the benefit of the doubt. But, and, but you know, the, the real hipster opinion would be knowing I actually had Emory Jones as my starting right guard. Because I, did, I forgot Bradford. But, like, I kind of just have this weird gut feeling he's a guy who could come in and really, like, be ready. You know, he's just a really yeah. exciting athlete for an O-lineman. I think he's pretty mature. I just wonder. You know, I'm talking out of my ass, but I wonder. So, I, I like the idea of him maybe really being in a competition with Martinez, Bradford, etc. for one of those spots. And, obviously, there's Will Campbell, the five-star tackle who, yeah, I'm never going to be confident any freshman O-lineman's ready to start. So, I'm not going to put him there yet, but... He's good enough to play somewhere. He could play guard, actually. He'd be a great guard. So, anyway, I went on really long about the O-line there, but it's just basically the zone of, like, I like what they added. I just have zero assurances anyway. Well, the cool thing is, you know, it's it's slightly cliche, but this is a whole new coaching staff, and even guys who have been here, everybody has a fresh start here. So, everybody can make impressions. There's going to be a lot of guys with shots, and I, I assume the best five guys will win, but there's not, like, you know, Oh God, we recruited this guy, and we need to, like, I, there's a sunk cost fallacy with some prospects that some coaching staffs are totally. like, he's not producing, but like, this is my guy, and you know, he's going to get that XP to get up to the level I know. Um, yeah. There's none of that here. Uh, two point. other uh, worries that I want. By the way, to I'll touch say this. also, like you said, Kelly is a better track record with O line, and Brad Davis. I don't want to undervalue him having a full offseason. Right. Because I think the O-line genuinely did get better as the year went on, and he only joined the team in the summer. He actually changed up some of the techniques they were using and stuff like that, and they kind of it took him a little bit. So I'm not ruling out they get a lot better with Brad Davis in year two. Continue. Tight end. I like that. L- let me say, I like that in your depth chart, you did not put Jack Besh here. I don't think he belongs there. I know he's technically a tight end. Yeah. The boy's a wide receiver. He's a wide receiver that they use there out of necessity, which they might his, have to again. Yeah, he is. He is a a a plus or a minus slot receiver, and like we're just gonna call him that. I'm I'm okay with that, but that leaves tight end looking a little thin. I know that Jack Mashburn came in and played really well last year, but Jack Mashburn was not exactly um, you know uh, a threat in the passing game, yeah. if we can say that uh, politely. I literally can't remember him catching a pass actually. I mean, there was the the thing that I will take away from Jack Mashburn last year is that putting him in against Florida allowed Tyrion Davis Price to run for the school rushing record uh, in, in an upset win, and like that was the big thing that they did. Oh yeah, his, him playing him opened up the run game the whole second half of the year to some right. extent, right? Yeah, like right. But like, too. so is that should I be worried about that? Is that me be being overworried, or it's like should I be like, yes, get get the dude who can mash dudes in there? put Besh out in the flat and stop worrying about it. Like, because 
first off, LSU couldn't run the damn ball for the first half of the year. And I know it's not all Jack Mashburn, but, and, and, you know, they changed up schemes. They ran a lot of counter and, and and it worked out pretty well, uh, considering the lack of success early in the year. But like, I don't know. I feel like it's like, is that, is that a weakness or is that just fine? No, uh, I, no, I think the answer is it's both a, the, that's the actual biggest talent weakness on the roster, right? Right. But it's also a position that I just don't lose sleep over because mm-hmm. you can just scheme around tight end. You know, like you don't need to play a tight end. You don't you can also use, like we said, Jack Besh as a semi tight end. Like so that's the only reason it's like simultaneously the biggest gaping hole and also like eh. You know, and, and I don't know that's like a very ignorant way of looking at it, but I kind of feel that way a little. So, one, I put Mashburn because part of me does think like the way Kelly and Denbrock like to run an offense, new staff. I keep going back to stability over upside for year one with a new staff, and I do kind of like I could see them being like, you know what, I like Jack Mashburn's run, the run game he's going to add, you know. And you can't rule out Cole Taylor's got some real talent. So, like, I'm not going to rule out him also taking a leap. He's, he does some great stuff. And also, let's – the big one, obviously, is they still made out of transfer. So far, as I've said repeatedly on here, they haven't really seen anyone in the portal they're crazy about, so they haven't really pursued anyone in the tight end. But, you know, whether that be red flags or talent. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I think it's a good – it's both, you know, where, like, they have really massive talent at receivers. So you can – and you got right. – let's say it's my spreading at quarterback. You can kind of just say, hey, you know what, we're going to spread it out a little bit more this year and go one back and – you know, just try to get run games through opening up through the pass, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think that's where I stand. Birdie, I need to issue a mea culpa to Jack Mashburn. Four catches, 53 yards, I, including I well. he caught the fake punt in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. No shit. God. Yep. Man. I mean, he had, so he, had, he, he had one catch in four games. That was his longest grab. He had a nice grab for 18 yards in the Arkansas loss. Um, and otherwise, it was a catch for seven yards and a catch for two yards. But That's that awesome. was but Jack. If you're listening, fast, I'm sorry. Um, you caught my favorite Jack, play of the year. Like that's all that matters. You're, you're I know, I know. That's yeah. it's just like I, I'm horrified. I, I apologize to the Mashburn family. Um, for back for background, the 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 deep love I had for that was rooted in the 2018 Auburn fake punt pass that like. I literally used as a bit on social media for like two years of just like, it was like my number one thing of like, all right, guys, my three-part series on the fake punt pass is coming. Von Rosenberg, every time I talked to him, I'd get like a quote about how mad he is. He's never throwing a pass again. And then for right. the first time they try it with somebody else, they execute it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Funniest thing in the world to me. Sorry. It's beautiful. Um, let's, my only other area of worry, and it is somewhere that like, I feel like is almost now too much of an obsession for me and probably a lot of other LSU fans is running back. And if, if John Emery still exists, if he will play, have you heard anything new on the John Emery situation? (laughs) Um, yeah, no. And yeah, like, you know, you talk people close to Emery, they'll say, um, you know, he is, should be eligible. They're saying that pretty confidently. And, I have heard some things that he's kind of bought in more and he's, you know, he's really, you know, looking like he's in good shape and going to break out. And by the way, I actually think he was bought in and going to break out last year. You know, I did think that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I do buy that. I'll say this. I probably shouldn't even say this, but, you know, I asked like a relevant staffer, you know, like last week when I was doing this, you know, what the status of Emory is. And he kind of just gave me a broad, uh, what was it? 
he is still in the roster and he is still with the team. You know, there's something like that's still working out <laughs> with the team. And like, that's all okay. I could say. So I think you just have to kind of say like, I would not put my money on just confidence that John Emery is going to be 100% the guy, yada, yada. It's just hard to do that. But as far as I can tell, and I had, so I will always tell you guys when I'm ignorant, I'm kind of ignorant on this. As far as I can tell, he should be available. There's a lot of talent in that running back room. I have no idea yeah. who's playing, how any of them are going to look. I mean, Noah Kane, five-star talent, um, did not have the career he envisioned at Penn State. Uh, would love that maybe a return home juvenates him. I don't know. Uh, we saw Corey Kiner and Armani Goodwin last year. Trey Bradford has been in our lives in some sort of way over the last three years, leaving, coming back. So, oh, I'm a I mean, dick. I left Josh Williams out. Wow, I'm awful. Josh Williams, I, I liked him too. He he provided a little. Spark. He's a scholarship running back, and I left him out because I I feel terrible. <gasps> yeah, it's Josh okay. Williams is also a solid player. I I, I, said, I said this last year to you, but I had a running back staffer last year telling me they're like, I actually think he's a better player than all the guys we're playing right now. Fascinating. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I mean, let's talk about him. Josh Williams, like he provided <laughs> some pop at, at at some like I feel like every time he was in the game, and then he would always do something, and then I was like, oh. Josh Williams, yeah. It's like, why, why isn't he playing more? Yeah, I think he's just like a nice, well-rounded back that they kind of didn't have. You know, it's like you have a bruiser or you have an explosive guy. And it's like, he's kind of just a certain well-rounded guy. And I feel like I look at this running back room a lot like I look at linebacker. And I think that for some reason, I feel that way a lot with this team. I don't know what that's about. But running back just feels like every year it's the room where, for like five years now, right? It feels like the room where, like, I feel it's stable. Like, I think there's probably four guys who are good enough to absolutely get major snaps. But I right. still – and Clyde broke out in 19. But even all offseason, no one thought he was going to start. So, I, th- nope. I think 19 counts in this category where every offseason it's like a lot of options. I have zero confidence that anyone's going to become the guy. And that's where I'm kind of at. It's like Emery could be a superstar. He could be a Heisman candidate. He's so much talent. Zero reason to bet on it. Noah Kane, big recruit, all this stuff, but always banged up. Like, I just don't know. I think there's a little bit of like his upside has just dropped, but I think he's going to be a reliable player. Corey Kiner and, and Goodwin both are just these really nice talents, look really great. But I feel like running, I'm just learning running back. Like, there is always, I think there's a little more like football IQ catching up at running back than I think we would assume. So, I don't know. I actually just don't know. I put Emery because like if I'm doing a percentage, you know, cost benefit analysis, I feel the safest about putting him there because of his talent mixed with, you know, veteran all that stuff, but like man, you could tell me Corey Kiner ends up just being the guy, and no part of me would be shocked. Spin moves for everybody. He does have a nice spin move. He has no a great spin move. Um, you know, I will say uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire in 2019 made me feel like the dumbest smart fan ever because I, I was not super high on him coming in. I was just like, you know, he played behind Nick Brosset. Like, I, I was like, he's just a, he's just a, a good running back that's like not gonna wow me. And then he just went supernova the entire year and made me feel stupid. So hopefully, one of these guys does the same thing. I would love that. Um, yeah, that's my. That, By the way, I have my, to that, I have to always ahead. give credit to my guy uh, to Shea Dixon for predicting Clyde to some extent. Everybody always viewed Clyde exactly like you and I did, right? Like, just like a, yeah, he's a nice three-star. You know, he's, he's quick, whatever. And Shea was always like, and Shea obviously covered him through high school and recruiting and all that. And he's like, 
like he's like Clyde tests off the charts and all like the testing stuff, like you know the like athletics testing, spark stuff, and he's like yeah. he is way more upside than people realize, and he always said that, and I'm always like. I'll trust you because you know what you're talking about. And then he had right. like, one of the better running back seasons in the last decade, honestly. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah. So I just like to give Shea credit there. Shout out to Shea. Um, those Friend are my the only show. other. Those are the only my other depth chart uh, things. Um, but are there any storylines that you're looking that you are thinking about going into spring that I missed or that we haven't talked about? I think we've hit a good chunk of them. I think there's just the element of just the scheme part, right? Like, it's not like there's not much we can even dive into because we just don't know. But just knowing, like, I don't really know what to expect. I don't know what we'll find out more this week, actually. But, like, I don't know the breakdown between Kelly and Denbrock of, like, responsibilities calling the offense and what exactly it's going to look like. I don't know really exactly what Matt House wants to run because he's experienced both 3-4 and 4-3 in depth, so I don't know what he wants to run, you know, and like there's part of me that really wonders what the, you know, maybe four-man front is the best way to get the most out of LSU, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, Uh, so I think those are the the things I'm really curious of. And then let's, I mean, everybody should be ready for another round, probably smaller of transfers, maybe in and out after spring. Good call. Is Is that accurate? Oh, definitely. You, I think I think now more than ever, it's, there's always going to be one or two you just don't even expect and you don't even account for. And it's going to go their way. They're going to bring a bunch of guys in. So, Spe- yeah. Speaking of that, um, any any word on Deion Smith? Yeah, I, I, he hasn't landed anywhere, has he? No. Um, what can I say? Uh, I will put it as this way. As, as far as I know, Deion Smith is still at LSU and is still with the university, but I have been given – I don't expect him to be on the team come fall. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. I think he's still going to be there through the spring, but I don't think he'll be there later. Sounds good. Sounds right. Um, I did want to include some college football playoff expansion talk, and it was kind of deaded this week um, until at least 2026. But our uh, our colleague Ari Wasserman brought up a good point about an 18 playoff, and, and I'm curious. First off, before I get to his point, what do you what are your thoughts on an 18 playoff? Because this will affect LSU in some years, if not more than more often than not. Well, I'm very firmly in the 12 team field camp. I don't. Okay. I, I I love four. I see now the problems with four, and I think 12 is 100 percent the move. I think my big. I don't love eight, um, but I'm open okay. to arguments, so I want to hear yours. But I I think my thing is I I always go back to I think the best thing about college football is the regular season. It's that every game matters. It's that like even when you're eight and three and you're not making the playoff, every game matters. You know, like you want right. to beat your rival. And I always worry about more expansion means just a slow whittling away of that. And a slow whitt- like, you know, toward just being, you know, pro sports where it's like, yeah, you you're gonna lose five games. That's okay. I don't want that. Um and I think twelve is so brilliant because it actually is going to make the regular season better in so many ways where it's actually going to make more teams involved and it's going to make it's going to add a real I think conference championships need to be important and I think it's going to really add to that because uh, you know like the double buy and all that stuff so I really love 12 because I think it actually makes the regular season matter well I think eight I have a fear it's going to go back to making the regular season a little weakened interesting yeah that's a good point because I you know a specific point that I want to talk about and and I think I'm also for 12. Um, I, I kind of put it off when it seems like it's not going to happen anytime soon. But also, like, I don't believe that shit. Like, every college conference, the NCAA moved mountains during 2020 
to reschedule games, to alter the entire composition of the college football game. And so you can't tell me that even though somebody says, oh, we can't do it, that, it's, that something won't happen. Somebody won't come around at some point. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm not saying that it's going to be four teams until 2026 and that's final. I, I'm No. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing that Ari brought up that I thought has affected or would have affected multiple LSU teams is saying that like, you know, adding the 18 playoff or the 12 team playoff, we think that, Ooh, it'll, it'll get more G five teams in there like Cincinnati this year or every other G five team that has been undefeated or one loss that has been number five, number six, number seven in the rankings. And honestly, the truth is, and I agree with Ari is that you're just going to have a two loss national champion more often than not, because some team like 2007 LSU or like every single Ohio state team every year to yep. Ari's point, you know, is going to be like, Oh, I forgot that we have five star talent and we were stupid and lost a, a game early and then a, a middle a stupid game in the middle of the year. Oh, and now, now we're awesome again and we're going to beat everybody because nobody's expecting it to. And like, I, you know, you've only been around for a few years and like, I know you've read about it, but like LSU has had so many of those teams, every less miles team was like that. Oh yeah. Where they would, they would go supernova on somebody in a BCS game that wasn't the national championship and look like they could have beaten anybody in the field. And so, I don't know how it's going to be under Brian Kelly, but it's just like, do you agree with me that it's going to, I feel like that would bring more like two loss big conference national champs, which would make everybody matter. I right? think I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to be against any format that actually tells me the best team. Like if, <laughs> if you're telling me, if your argument is, I'm not saying you, just anyone, if your right. argument is, man, it's going to lead to a lot of the time, the best team actually has two or three losses and they go on a run. I'm like, so you're telling me you're proving they're proving they're the best team. Like, I just have a hard time being mad about that scenario. I do. Uh, you know, like, I think two of the more memorable title teams in the playoff era have been the teams we all disagreed on being there. Ohio State, when they went on their mm -hmm. run, like, yep. that people really weren't sold on that. They had a third-string mm -hmm. quarterback, and that's one of the I actually consider that one of the better teams in the playoff era. I love that team. Uh, and Alabama, when they took down Georgia, that was like the most debated. Like that was the least convincing Alabama resume ever to make right. the playoff. I was actually 100% team Ohio State should be in that year over them. And guess what? Alabama won the title, beat one of the better Georgia teams in recent memory. And like, yeah, like they earned it. They were clearly the best team. We had the two assaults. Like, and uh, I think, yeah, so I, I just have a hard time being like, wait, you're telling me, like your argument is that we should keep it small because we want to. I think the I, I think it out. also cheapens. Well, I, I think it also cheapens the regular season a little bit. That's valid. That's fair. Which is why I love twelve. I think because okay. I actually I don't know. Like I think eight still feels like a little bit of if you're not in nothing matters. Actually, it's going to make it more like if you're not in nothing matters because now it's even like a little more open if that makes sense but yeah. if it's 12 it's like the number 20 team in the country that's you know not like not 10 and 1 fresno like i need to watch them i need to know what's going on like yeah i just kind of feel like that actually makes it more you the games between the eight and three teams still matter while i think eight teams does the opposite in a weird way and i love the idea of 12 making and eight would do this too, I know. But 12 making conference championships so important and all that. I don't know. I just like that more. I, th I, think, I think 12 is a brilliant – I loved the format because it actually, by going bigger, actually makes, in my opinion, the regular season better. Commissioner Brody has spoken.
and also the worst argument for me is the the most common one you see in the Twitter mentions is the oh one verse four sucks every year so what makes you think expansion's going to make it better and I'm like you are really missing the point it means we're going to get five six matchups that are incredible we're gonna yeah. get three I'm, I'm, i don't know my numbers are not accurate here i don't know where i'm getting these but like three seven matchups that are awesome you know like because usually it's two teams are uh, special and then like three through eight are kind of similar like yeah it's and, gonna then, be and then you add that like you add that ncaa tournament like pressure to those one versus two teams to be like but can you actually make it through you That's know great in, in the NCAA tournament, it's like six games but it's like in here it would be like can you make it through three Oh, totally. It would be three, no. right? It would be I think two. I, I'm so for it. I think 12 is awesome. I was getting giddy about it. I was so excited, and I'm a little bummed about what happened. And eight would be really bad for group of five, in my opinion. I think 12 would be pretty good for it. So yeah, we'll see. Well, I, I hope it works out. I mean, and like b- by the next time playoff things change, whether that's in two years or six years or however long, um, who knows what the college football landscape is going to look like? Who's going to change conferences? <laughs> Whatever. But I think it's fun. And and for a team like LSU that isn't at the Alabama and Georgia level right now of being, we should be in the playoff discussion every single year as one of the four or five best teams in the country. But when LSU has been humming under less miles, under Ed Ogeron, it's like, well, we could either be number one or we could be like number eight, number nine, like number six. Like that's totally. that's that's valid every year. So like, I think LSU would be one of the biggest winners of that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's so. not in my case for why you should expand. But I'm just saying, like, it's I in my case, LSU, Brody. It's yeah. in my case, Brody. Like, I LSU would like A and M would be like an Auburn, like those like the second tier SEC schools would thrive on this. Brody, do you know how much life I would bring from LSU beating A and M every year to uh, eliminate them from a 12 team playoff and make them the number 17 team in the country at eight and four i know right i think just, that's the best way to put it it's I like would, i would just oh, it man. would make the regular season a little more special it would make those rivalries it would make michigan penn state even better every year i think that's another great right. comp because that's in that same tier right like i think that would be awesome and it would make us pay more attention to the again i use the fresno example but even like the the a houston a houston's um, a great example louisiana lafayette most years like uh wow i said lafayette i try to usually say ul um like I'm proud of you. <laughs> I think it would make those teams you actually pay attention. It's not just like yeah, they're not getting in. Who cares? Like I, I think right. it would, it's just better for everything. I'm for it. We've spoken. Um, I hope the NCA is listening to this. The power brokers. I'm sure they have lasted this long in the podcast. So I'm excited. I, I think we're affecting change, Brody. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, that is going to be it for us today. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. We do have a possible exciting thing coming up in the future that i'll dangle here and let you know about next week um the yeah tease, tease. brody you tease the tease. tease i know i love it we, we we have to have the post-credit scene like in marvel to like you know let people know what's coming in the htp universe i couldn't agree more all right, all right thanks brody. for listening everybody see you guys